0: Well, currently, if you're um, at all reading the newspapers or watching the news on TV, you're well aware of the uh, crisis with uh, Iraq and um, the movements that have, that have taken place in Asia with North Korea. So, thought that we would go before the Lord this morning and preface our time in the Word by praying for our President George W. Bush and for praying for all the leaders. That God would grant them wisdom, and that through all of this, that God would be glorified. Our Heavenly Father, you've ordained um, uh, these leaders to be above us, to direct the affairs of the world. That no man is in leadership apart from your divine sovereign um, placing them in, the, in that position. And, and so, Lord, we pray... For our president, uh, George Bush, we have heard that heard of his testimony. We have heard how he has turned from the sinful things of this world and he has, t- he has given testimony of his faith in you. First of all, we do pray for his soul that, that, that his testimony is genuine, that his faith is proved to be true, that he would bear fruit, spiritual fruits in keeping with repentance. And that you would bless his walk with you and cause him to grow as a man of God. And that he would be a great impact and influence to his family, to his cabinet, to his people that he worked with, to the media, to this country and to the rest of the world. Lord, we pray for just wisdom for all the leaders throughout this world. That they would tremble before your word, O God. That they would seek first, not the counsel of man, not the poles, but they would seek your counsel, O oh Lord, At the word of God, as it was given to Nebuchadnezzar, the leaders of Babylon, in like manner, Lord, your word would be proclaimed to these men and women, these leaders of the world, and they would tremble before your truths and submit to them wholly. We pray that through these crises, that your glory be manifested, that all men will be reminded of our the transient uh, nature of life, that we're all mortal beings, that we're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so, shaken with um, such truth, many will turn to you repent and trust in you for their salvation. We pray for our soldiers that are in the front lines. We um, just... Uh, Pray for their, them and their families as they go through this difficult time. Lord, we pray that you would comfort them. You would grant them um, just a protection. And Lord, ultimately through this, that they would know you. They would know the living God, uh, the, the sovereign one over all creation. They would trust in you and repent and be saved. Lord, we pray for the church that we would not um, be distracted and dissuade away from our commission as believers. Uh, we would l- continue to live as salt and light in this dark world. In a world where men murder each other, kill each other, st- steal and pillage and rape. That we would be set apart. We would live holy lives uh, holding out the word of truth that men might be saved. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, as our Elder Bob shared this past week, uh, several of of us attended Grace Community Church's annual Shepherds Conference. Suffice it to say, uh, it was a very uh, refreshing and challenging week for all of us who attended. The days were filled with uh, sessions with Pastor MacArthur, Eric Alexander, and Dr. Al Moeller, And it was just a great time of the Word. And A lot of the times that we spent, the off times, during meals, and the break times in between the sessions were spent with other pastors uh, throughout the world. And that was a great joy. Especially sweet uh, was was seeing all our ministry partners uh, gathered this past week. It was so sweet to meet with several elders of Faith Bible Church in Spokane, Washington. I ministered there several times. They've had their pastors come and minister to us. It was through them that I went to Penza Bible, Penza um, Institute to teach the Bible for two weeks. And it was just sweet to um, meet these dear old saints, elders, um, and fellowship with them. And we are continuing our partnership with Faith Bible. Uh, they're sending uh, a team to Czech Republic to work with Peter Smith. And we're sending our team as well. And actually their team leader, Elder Ken Johnson, met up with our team leader, uh, to be mentioned later. And uh, we're able to just uh, fellowship and, and prepare for missions together. And also, another Bible institute is coming up in the country of Kazakhstan in the year 2004. They've invited us to partner with them, and we've agreed. So we'll be sending a team to teach uh, 25 pastors in a predominantly Muslim world, 25 Christian pastors to teach them theology and ministry in the Word of God. In 2004, we also spent some time with um, Pastor Scott Bashore and the leaders of Brainerd Park Bible Church. Uh, plans for summer vacation Bible school is already underway, and we look forward to that uh, ministry with them as well. And we met pastors from Lighthouse Bible Church, Emmanuel Bible, Hope Bible, Pathway Bible Church, and churches throughout throughout the world. And it was a, a sweet time of fellowship. Now, in our Other than the main sessions, there were uh, seminar sessions, workshops, if you will. And each of us were able to choose from seven to ten workshops. And Kirk joined us this week, and uh, he chose a seminar called Battle for the Bible. Battle for the Bible. The sessions about how the Bible is being attacked and compromised in the church today. Um, No, In in the church, not outside the church, how the Bible is being compromised from within the church and Kirk was telling me that how in the session that the speaker highlighted the many Christian leaders and how many how the many Christian ministries have compromised in the Word of God. They have relinquished the historical position in the of the inerrancy, infallibility, and sufficiency of the scriptures. And Kirk was t- relaying all of that to me and I talked to him afterwards and his response was one of great disappointment. Kirk was so discouraged. The point of hopelessness. Because <laughs> he was saying how it's so sad to see so many um, Christian leaders, so many churches abandon um, a strong stand concerning the Word of God. Um, yeah. After being exposed to the pervasiveness of false teaching in the world today, you know, it was clear the handwriting is on the wall. The church, theologically, doctrinally, it is obvious that we are living in very dangerous times. Very dangerous times. Why is that? Because many false teachers, many false prophets have gone out into the world. In ancient times, Jeremiah warned his people in Jeremiah 14.14. Jeremiah proclaimed, the Lord said, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent these men. I have not appointed them. I have not spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, false divinations and delusions of their own mind. In the olden times, in the ancient times, in times of the prophets, God sent out His prophets to warn them of these false teachers. Well, Peter tells us, and Peter warns us again in 2 Peter 2.1, that the same thing is happening today. Just as there were false prophets in Israel, there will be false prophets among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Peter says, false prophets is not just a thing of the past. It's a thing of the present and also of the future. You know, people say that history of the world is history of war. It's all war interspersed with times of peace. Well, church history then, is a history of false leaders, of false teaching, of heresy, interspersed with short periods of reformation and revival. It seems ever since the Garden of Eden... Satan told Adam and Eve, did God really say? That was a start of false teaching, leading people away from the Word of God. And there has been nothing but a history of false teachers and false leaders leading pe- people away from God's truth. Oh, well, in light of all of this, how can a believer discern error from truth? How can you and I Separate what is of God and what is not of God. Now, simply, simple, simple way to put it is there are just two ways. Simple approach is first of all is Scripture. Acts seventeen eleven. The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they heard the Apostle Paul's teachings and they examined the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. So they tested Apostle Paul with the Word of God. They compared his teachings with the Old Testament Scriptures to see if what he was telling was true. Even Apostle Paul was not above testing. So first and foremost way of discerning truth from error is by testing it according to the Word of God. But you know what? That's not so easy, is it? Isn't it? That's, not, that's very difficult. These days, there are theological controversies like open theism, um, transdispensationalism, non-lordship salvation, self-esteem theology, Pelagian, Arminian theology, evangelicals and Catholics together. I mean, the list goes on and on for a young believer, even for a mature believer, to safely navigate through these biblical and theological storms, present a great challenge, does it not? For a young Christian to understand trans-dispensationalism, to hear that teaching and say, you know what? According to the Bible, that's truth and that's error. That's not easy. So, there is a second way. Still difficult, but it aids us in our discernment. The second way to discern truth from error is by testing the teacher against the Bible. Now, in Acts 17 11, they tested Paul's teaching. But in Matthew 23, our Lord gives us five ways to test, to examine the person behind the teaching. The person's life, the person's character, the person's heart. And by examining the person behind the teaching... It'll give us some hints whether, whether what they're teaching is actually from God or not. This is also not easy. It's a great challenge to test the teacher as well. Christians need great discernment to distinguish the men who teach what is truth and to separate from those who teach the delusions of their own minds. Why? Because false teachers will not come with a, with a label on their back, false teacher. Right? Our Lord warned us in John 10.10 10, that wolves will come in sheep's clothing with the intention to steal, kill and destroy. Their greatest weapon is their disguise. Second Corinthians 11.14 Satan himself masquerades, what? As an angel of light. Our Lord warned His disciples that the power of these false teachers are so great, Matthew 24, 24, that they would be even able to deceive the elect. For a time, even the elect will be led astray by these false teachers because they will perform such great signs and miracles. Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 1 that because of this, Many will abandon the faith. In later times, many will follow deceiving spirits. They will follow things that are taught by demons. On well, Matthew 23 1 through 12, our Lord gives us five characteristics, five examples of counterfeit religious leaders, five characteristics of these unbelieving scribes and Pharisees that we can apply to our lives to understand how to discern truth from error. Now on a side note, um, the context here is religious leaders, but I want to talk to every single person here. Um, Not just for those who are religious leaders, not just for those who are leading the ministry. Therefore, I want to apply this to the home. Because these are examples of all false leaders, period. Especially at home. So if you're a husband here this morning, you need to look at these very carefully. Consider if your leadership at home is consistent with the Lord or with these Pharisees. All the parents here, I want you to know these five characteristics. And consider as a father, as a mother, your example is more consistent with the Lord or these scribes and Pharisees. You know, nothing provokes a wife to anger. Nothing provokes children to sin than these five marks as presented by Christ. If you are an older brother or a sister at home, if you have any spiritual authority at home, these marks are for you. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 23. Interesting to know. That this is our Lord's last public sermon on earth. This is His last public teaching to the masses, to the crowds. You know, I wonder sometimes to myself, if I could preach one last sermon, what would it be? If God were to tell me by divine revelation, and I don't believe in that, but if God were to, apathetically, and say, James, you got one last sermon to give, what would it be? Maybe, I don't know, I think I'll preach from Psalm 19, that's my heart cry sermon. Maybe I'll preach a sermon on my love for the church, because I love the church. Maybe the importance of doctrine. After today, I'm preaching on the importance of doctrine and theology. Maybe I'll preach that. Well, we don't have to wonder about Christ, what He would preach, because here it is. This is His last sermon. We don't have to guess what our Lord's last sermon would be. It is not a sermon on salvation. It is not a sermon on God's kingdom or the resurrection of the dead. His last sermon was a sobering message of condemnation against false teachers. He teaches His disciples on what to look for in false teachers and then for the next 26 verses He condemns these false teachers head on. This is His last reverberating, rippling message left on earth before His death and resurrection. You look at these 39 verses and it is... All verbal rebuke. It's the mother of all rebukes. This is a sermon that I believe, you know, rabbis taught sitting down. I believe, not hypothetically, is not in the Bible, but I believe, our Lord taught this standing up. Right? Pointing His finger. You can't preach this sermon sitting down. I mean, look at the words that are riddled throughout these, this passage. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guys. You don't say that sitting down. You blind fools. Right? Verse 17. Verse 23, you hypocrites. Verse 33, you snakes, you brutal vipers. The modern translation is you bloodsuckers, you parasites. Right? That's what Christ is condemning them. I mean, He proclaimed this message standing up. It got heated. It got intense. Our Lord raised His voice. I believe if He had a pulpit with Him, He would have pounded on it several times. in verses 1 through 7 again he addresses the crowds and his disciples and he warns them about the false teachers in verses 8 through 12 he admonishes them and he tells them to follow another example not to emulate them but he says instead he t- teaches them how they are to be different he, he shows them another way another option of spiritual leadership and then 13 through 39 our lord calls out the pharisees He turns His attention away from the disciples, away from the crowds, and He looks directly at the Pharisees, and He calls them out. And He rebukes them directly. Well, let's consider just the first 12 verses, the five marks, five examples of false, counterfeit religious leaders. Number one, false leaders lack spiritual authority. False leaders lack spiritual authority. Matthew 23, 1 and 2. Then Jesus sets the crowds and to His disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit on Moses' seat. The first mark is they lack divine authority. The key is found in verse 2. In all the verses that we read, New American Standard has it right here in verse 2. It is not so much the teachers of the law, just simply sit in Moses' seat. NASB says, they seat themselves in the seat of Moses. The verb in the Greek is in the middle voice. Meaning they've done this to themselves. God didn't place them in this position. It wasn't by the the, the people acknowledging their authority, acknowledging their, their character and compassion and righteousness. No, these Pharisees sat themselves in the position of authority. They were not appointed by God. They were not chosen by the people. They anointed and appointed themselves to that position. Let's consider that word authority for a minute. You know, authority is a word that makes people think of law and order, of command, of control, of dominance respect and obedience the authority that these men had was not from God but from themselves right now applying it today you know for me as the leaders of Cornerstone where do we get our authority where do we get the right to stand before you this morning and tell you what you ought to believe Tell you what decisions you ought to make. How you ought to live your life. Where do I get this right, this authority from? You know, several years ago, in another ministry, um, this guy and I were talking about the teaching of the past week. And we were very grieved. We were very heartbroken because the teaching was so unbiblical. It was harsh. It was legalistic. It was authoritarian. It was manipulative. manipulative, it was exerting his own authority over the people in a harsh manner. We both acknowledged that was wrong. But my friend ended our conversation by saying that the people needed to submit to that teaching. People needed to submit to him because that man earned the right to say those things because of his many years of ministry. He was saying that because of his seniority, because he put the time in, because of his commitment, because of his efforts, he earned the right to say those things and people needed to commit. You know, at that time, I didn't know how to respond. At that time, that seemed reasonable, that seemed logical. And at the time, I was thinking, you know, that benefits me because I've been in the ministry for five years now. So if I just last three more years and I have the same authority as him, and even if I'm wrong, people need, still need to submit to me. I like that deal. I can live with that. Well, I now believe that is completely wrong. The authority that we have in the church is not because of our seniority. It's not because of our own works. It's not because of our own perceived righteousness. No. The only authority religious leaders, Christian leaders have is authority granted by the Word of God. That is the only legitimate authority. Every minister of the Gospel receives authority from the Scriptures alone. And to the degree the preacher deviates from God's Word, to that degree he has lost his authority. Let me repeat that. To the degree any person digresses, goes astray from the Word of God, to that degree he or she has lost authority. true spiritual leaders submit themselves completely to the Word of God. Their opinions, values, ideas are seen as just that. A man's, a sinful man's, mind you, opinions and ideas. Where the only authority is the Word of God. Romans 3, 4. Let God be true and every man a liar. Including James. Including everyone. Let every man be a liar except for the Word of God. God. The Pharisees and scribes thought they had authority because they had the seed of Moses, they had the position, and they appointed themselves. Our Lord was saying, true authority does not come horizontally. True authority comes vertically. That's why our Lord questioned these leaders in Matthew 3 and Luke 20. When all these men and women throughout Israel We're coming to John John the Baptist to be baptized by the Jordan River. He asked them, I will ask you one question, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? Where did John get his authority to baptize these people? He wasn't a rabbi, he had no formal training, he had no title. Where did he get his authority? The answer is obvious. You know, William Wallace said this. I don't know if you really said this, but the, in the movie you said this. Right? That men do not follow titles, but they follow courage. Well, let me paraphrase that. Men do not follow titles, they follow men who follow the scripture. Right? No one's following me. If you're following me, I'm sorry, but you're following the wrong person. Why would anyone want to follow me? Right? Um, you know, I learned the secret to ministry years ago. That I had no authority. That my own, cons- only in my life, as a, as, a, as, a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, is to align myself comp- as best I can under the authority of Scripture. My life, my character, my ministry. And if I do that, then believers... Will be united with me completely, and there I have authority. And any time I go away from the scriptures, I have zero authority. Well, these men didn't understand that. They, they pushed authority. They, they put, they enforced obedience to others simply because they sat on the sat on Moses' seat, which they comforted themselves. The first mark is they lack spiritual authority you know, fathers, husbands, older brothers, consider this, we will apply it at the end. Second mark of false religious leaders are characterized by lack of integrity. Are characterized by lack of integrity. They hypocritically demand of others things that they never do themselves. They demand from others things that they themselves do not do. Verse 3, Christ says, therefore, practice and observe, whatever they tell you, they're sitting in the seat of Moses, so they're actually teaching the Old Testament, in a compromised form, yes, diluted form, but they are teaching Moses' law, therefore, do whatever they say, but do not do what they do, because they preach, but they do not practice, our Lord's point is clear, A clear mark of false leaders, counterfeit teachers, is their double standard, blatant hypocrisy. It can't be perceived immediately, but you spend time with these men. You spend time with these leaders, and overall, hypocrisy cannot be hidden. It cannot be disguised. It comes out, therefore, don't practice what they do, just what they teach. Their message was one of obedience to the law of God. They saw themselves as perfectly obedient to God's law. They had a high view of man, a low view of God's word. They were so puffed up in their own self-estimation that they were righteous enough to obey the law of God. And they had such a low view of God's wo- law that it, they, they saw that it could be obeyed. And thus, even that caused hypocrisy. Now what about us? Is that our message? Is that our, our, our preaching? That we are perfectly obedient to the law of God? No, that is not our That's not the Christian's message. That's not the message of the Reformation. That's not the message of Paul, of the Scriptures. Our message is not, how can I be a better person? Our message is, it is impossible. All have sinned. We are wicked. We've fallen short. We do not meet the law. We fail miserably. That on our best day, on our best day of righteousness, we are still depraved, wretched sinners. Our message is, follow Christ. We're all hypocrites. Follow Christ. The perfect illustration of this is found in Luke 18. I'll just read it to you guys. I think a familiar illustration for all of us to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. Our Lord told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One's a tax collector, one's a Pharisee. The Pharisee goes up to the front of the church, front of the temple, and he stands up and he starts praying aloud about himself. And he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He noticed him on the way in. He magnified the sins of others and minimized his own sins. And he says in verse 12, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But not the tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And our Lord said that this man, tax collector, went home justified before God. This is our message, that we fall short of God's glory, that we are wicked sinners, that we are deserving of eternity in hell, and that our resultant obedience, that any righteousness that we have, if we obey the law in any degree, our message is, it's from God, not from us. That all glory goes to God. God. For these men, they had the form of godliness, two Timothy three five, but they denied its power. Titus one sixteen. They claimed to know God, but by their actions they denied Him. These men taught the truth, but by their actions they did not. They taught the truth, but didn't live to obey them. How great is the gap between? your public life, and your private life. For these men, that was an unreproachable, unapproachable chasm, separated that. For, for us, if we're living our Christian lives based upon our own righteousness, we're in the same boat with them. If we're living our Christian life based upon the righteousness of Christ alone, then there is hope for us. Pastor Richard Baxter wrote in his book, The Reformed Pastor, Take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before before the blind, lest you unsay with your lies what you say with your tongues, and be the greatest hindrances to your labors. Take heed to yourself, lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others, and lest you be guilty of that which you daily condemn. Take heed to yourselves, lest you cry down sin and you do not overcome it. Lest while you seek to bring it down in others, you bow to it. O brethren, it is easier to chide at sin than to overcome it. I was reminded this week of Ezra 7.10. Perhaps the first Pharisee first man after the exile to come back to study the law of God and commit himself to live by it consider his progression as he studied the word of God Ezra 7.10 Ezra set his heart to study the law of God What what was his reason for study not to teach to others but to obey it to do it it says to practice it and then to teach others to Israel The first mark is they lack spiritual authority. Second is they lack of integrity. Third mark of false teachers is lack of compassion. They're bankrupt in their love for men. The core mentality is every man for himself. Look at verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The picture Jesus gives here reflects the common custom of that day. The practice of loading up a donkey, camel or another beast of burden to the point where the animal could hardly move. As they travel down the road, the owner will walk alongside carrying nothing himself, putting all his burden on this animal, berating and beating the animal if it happened to stumble or fall. The illustration is appropriate when considering the Pharisees' attitude to the masses. They taught people that it was only by good works that they could be saved. Only by good works. And instead of helping anyone, they made it even more difficult. They made it more difficult. They raised even, they added to the law of God, they added their burdens... And they didn't come alongside anyone to minister, to serve, care, and help them in their obedience to the law of God. Let's move on to the fourth one. First is lack of spiritual authority. Second is lack of integrity. Third, lack of compassion. Fourth, false leaders are motivated by earthly glory. They're motivated by earthly glory. Motivation of false teachers is not the glory of God, but the glory of man. They are, in a sense, um, spiritual atheists. It's a secular religion. Verse 5, everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide, and the tassels on their garments long. Phylacteries are those wooden boxes they were placed in their forehead when they pray. These Pharisees would make an extra large version so that everyone could see how holy they were. The tassels that were ordained in the Old Testament, they made it extra long so that people would see and notice their tassels. Counterfeit leaders are characterized by the absence of a sincere desire to please God. The motivation of all their deeds... Is to be seen by men. It is to be rewarded here on earth, not in the kingdom of God. Completely opposite of what Christ taught. Matthew 6. I think we need to listen to these verses, do we not? Matthew 6.1. Be careful. Take heed. Take extra measure to not do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. Let's talk about the motivation, right? It's not, well, I'm not going to do righteous things because people are watching. No, then I shouldn't preach, right? We shouldn't minister in the church. He's talking about the motivation. Be careful that what motivates you is not to be seen by men. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He illustrates this. Verse 3, when you give, do not your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Extreme privacy, where even yourself, you cut it out of your mind. When you pray, go into the closet and pray, in secret. When you're fasting, don't look like you're fasting. Putting on old clothes, and not doing your hair, and just looking messy, and letting people know you're fasting for Christ. Put on your best clothes. Put oil on your head. So no one will know. Only God who sees in secret will know. But not these false teachers. Tom Pennington from Grace Community said this in one of his seminars. In Matthew 5.16, they cut it off after the words, good works. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, period. That's counterfeit leaders. Do good deeds, do good deeds, that people might see it. The complete verse is, do good works, so that they may see your good works, so that they may give God the glory who is in heaven. That's the reason we do righteous works before men. Not for our glory, but for the glory of God. They lack spiritual authority, they lack integrity, they lack compassion, they're motivated by earthly glory. And the final one is that they are characterized by lack of humility. They use religion to feed their pride. They're serving for the tangent benefits, the fringe benefits of perceived spirituality. Verse 6, look at verse 6. They love the place of honor at banquets. They love the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. Rabbi meaning master, teacher, even lord. They love that. They love what religion affords to them. That's a mark of false teachers. How are we to respond to these wrong examples? What did Christ teach his his disciples and how they are to to respond to these corrupt practices? Not by words, but by deeds. He calls his disciples in the crowds and tells them, reminds them, that the loudest and clearest method to confront these counterfeit teachers is by modeling the right example. The way to confront is by modeling the right example. And our Lord gives three right examples of true leaders. Number one, true leaders do not seek nor glory in elevated titles. True leaders do not seek nor glory in elevated titles. Verse 8 and verse 10. You are not to be called rabbi for you have only one master and you are all brothers. Verse 10, nor are you to be are you to be called teacher, where you have only one teacher, the Christ. He says, Shun these titles. Godly spiritual leaders are to shun pretentious titles, such as rabbi, maybe even reverend, or even bishop. You know, Apostle Paul, what was his favorite title? Romans one one, first Corinthians one one, second Corinthians four one was due loss of Christ. Slave of Christ. Slave of Christ. Second right example, true leaders do not esteem men. They esteem God. Verse 9, do not call anyone on earth father, for you have only one father, and he is in heaven. No, of course, this this does not teach us not to call our dad's father. Uh, using Matthew 23.9, the Bible says we are to honor uh, our, our father, earthly fathers, Exodus 20.12, Ephesians 6.1 and 3, Matthew 15.4. Here the word father is used metaphorically in the sense of someone who possesses inappropriate authority. It is father in a sense of eminence, superiority a right to command, a claim to particular respect. These all belong eminently to God. It is not right for us to give it to one another. Christians are all equal. Only God has the authority. Only God has a right to give laws, declare doctrines, to punish disobedience. We are not to esteem men. Only God 1 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. That's what Paul said. For what after all is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And a final one. Final mark of a true leader is that they accept lowly service. They accept lowly service. The greatest among you will be your servant. Verse 11. You want to be a great leader. You want to have authority. You want to have influence. The greatest among you will be your servant. That's what Christ said in Mark 10. 43 through 45. That was the purpose of His incarnation. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. That was his example throughout his life. One of his last acts to his disciples. We will study this in upcoming months. John 13, 1-9. After his final Passover meal, our Lord put on a servant's servant's garment. He got on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples. Maybe Paul reflected upon this and the cross. The height of our Lord's service. When he wrote in Philippians 2, 5-11. How he exhorts the church at Philippi, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Unlike the proud and arrogant scribes and Pharisees, Our Lord stands apart. He lived this life in integrity. He lived this life in humility. He lived this life compassionate for the lost. Submitted to the will of God. He lived this life in lowly service. Well, let me just apply this. I want to focus on family leadership this morning. I think mean, we've talked a lot about church leadership in the past. How about family leadership? Let me bring it home to you guys. All the husbands, fathers, mothers, older siblings at home. First of all, do you have spiritual authority? All right? You know you are the husband and the Bible says you have authority. Yes, you're parents, and God has given you authority over your children. But do you have spiritual authority? Is it apparent from your character, from your life, from your heart, from your service, that God is behind you, that God has affirmed you, that it is a spiritual authority that God has granted to you? Do you see that? Secondly, do you have integrity at home? How wide is that gap between your public Christian life and your private Christian life? Do you encourage your wife to keep you accountable? To call you, to call you out when you go against the Word of God? Do you, are you accountable to your children? Do you ask your children to forgive you when you sin against them? A pastor wrote, quote, If you want to know whether a man lives an exemplary life, whether he is consistent, whether he can teach and model the truth, and whether he can lead people to salva- salvation, to holiness and to serve God, then look at the most intimate relationships in his life and see if he can do it there. Look at his family and you will find the people who know him best, who scrutinize him most closely. Ask them, what kind of man he is at home? end quote. Do you have integrity? Do you want to find out? Ask your wife. You want to find out? Ask your children. Third mark of false teachers. True compassion. True compassion. Do you have patience towards others? Are you seeking to help? to unload to carry bear that their burden to serve them fourthly what is your motivation for your leadership at home is it Christ is Christ your foremost motivation and finally are you a humble husband are you a humble father are you a humble mother as an older sibling are you a humble leader 19th century Scottish preacher and author Andrew Bernard said this and I'll close close with this. He knew a Christian was growing when he talked more about Christ than, than of himself. Pastor Bernard said, the maturing Christian sees himself growing smaller and smaller until like the morning star he gives way to the rising sun. Let's pray. Our merciful Father, it is so easy for us to point our fingers at these Pharisees and scribes and in a, place ourselves in a lofty place and um, magnify their sinfulness and be frustrated and even, even have a heart of self-righteousness as we look down upon their unrighteousness. But as we consider our own leadership at our own home behind closed doors, Lord, we are humbled as we consider these examples. May we learn again and again that Christianity begins at home and that our stewardship before You, God, is to live our Christian lives when no one is looking in our private areas of our lives, of our hearts. Lord, may we follow the example of Christ so that we might have lead under true authority. We might have integrity, true compassion for, the, for, for those we're ministering to. Lord, that we would do it with a heart of humility and service. So that, our, that we would not be a stumbling block to those who, who we lead, but we might be a stepping stone uh, upon which they can draw close to You. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.